walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, as we have heard your word tonight, we have heard several charges, Lord, further instructions from the Apostle Paul, Lord, to be gracious in my speech, to make the best use of my time, to pray, Lord, for the open doors of the gospel, to come in and awaken the hearts, Lord, of your people. Lord, we are given these instructions, Lord, not as good wishes or good intends by the Apostle, Lord, but rather commands that we are to follow. And it is important that we follow. For, Lord, this is your word. Your word is illuminated to us now. Lord, and let it be like salt. Let it preserve me. Let it season me. Lord, let it make us all worthy to proclaim it to the world. We say all this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. So that first verse, as I mentioned, we talked about last week, that the slavery and debt system of the Jewish uh, Roman world of 2,000 years ago is not the same thing as the slavery you and I think of as Americans. That's the Caribbean and Amer- slavery of the American South. So he's, when he says, masters, treat your bondservants rightly, he's talking more about people who have put themselves in servitude to pay off debt, and they would be freed at some point. The Jews would free slaves every seven years, the year of Jubilee, and so on. He goes on to say that you, if you're a master, have a master who is in heaven. And then he leads right into verse 2. For this reason, continue steadfastly in prayer, because you have a master in heaven that you are to submit to. And how do we communicate with this master in heaven? By prayer. God communicates in three primary ways. Number one is the scripture, the word that he has given, the breathed out revelation of God, what Timothy calls the theonostos of God, his literal words. And God will never contradict his words. There is no prayer you will pray or a feeling you will have that will be different from the word of God if it's truly from the Holy Spirit. This is how you know to test the spirits. If you have a feeling or you hear a message or someone talks to you and it contradicts God's word, then it's not from God. It's false and it's evil and it's trying to hurt you. Guys in the front row, if we can't behave, we'll go outside with Mr. Kinney, won't we? Okay, thank you. If it's not from God's word, it's not right. And it will destroy you if you let it. 1 Corinthians 16.9, he talks about this open door. Same author now, Paul, says, For a wide door, for effective work, has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. There are adversaries even in this room right now. It takes the form of our flesh that rebels against the preaching of God's word, that turns against praying to the one true God for an open door. Your flesh doesn't want God to move. The flesh is happy where it is. It is satisfied in its lust and desires because if God moves, that means the flesh is lessened. It is put down. It is destroyed. It is pushed down. And it knows on a final day that God will cast it into the lake of fire along with the rest of sin to have his wrath poured upon it. God has not called you to ineffective, weak work. And typically when we hear this message, we hear it with a lot of emotion, that God wants to move you and God wants to help you and God wants to do all these things. Guys, let me tell you, once again, hear the word of God. God is not interested in moving you. God is pushing the will of his glory. 
that will come about, that which he has decreed before the beginning of time. And if your movement is a part of that, then so be it. But it's not the end result. Christianity is not the religion of me and you. It's what separates us from every other religion. I've studied them. They offer things to you to make you happy. Whether it's everything from reincarnation to becoming your own God one day, there is a personal advantage to following that God. Except Christ. Do you know what the advantage of following Christ is? He gets worshipped by you and even in heaven. I talked about this Sunday in Revelation. The saints gather around the throne of God and they worship God forever. Even in heaven, it's about God. It's not about you and I. That's why if you don't like to stand and sing, if you don't like to eat, if you don't like to be with Christians, then you will not like heaven. Because that's what heaven is. God's people worshiping him for all eternity. That is why you and I are given a charge a charge now in verse 5. Now, I want you to think about this. When he says, walk in wisdom, we all want to think that we're wise. We all want to think that we have knowledge. We all like to think that we know what's going on and we've got it figured out. Everybody in here got it all figured out? I know, I don't either. But I have a good God who does. He says, make the best use of your time. The word time there, is so far away from our American understanding of time because the American 21st century version of time, it's 645 right now. And that's fairly accurate. And all of your devices are going to say almost the same thing. Please don't at me if it says 646 or something, okay? <laughs> Mine's right and yours is wrong. <laughs> we would know the time, but they would not have watches. They would not have clocks the same way you and I do. They would not have readily available, easy ways to tell the exact minute and second. Time for them was a season. Time was the harvest. When the food was ready to be produced and feed. Remember, there's no Walmart or Publix when Jesus walked the earth. There's no supermarket or gas station to fill up at. The seasons controlled their very bellies. The seasons fed them. This word here in the Greek is a word I want you to remember. There's several ways to pronounce it, but I'm going to give you the easiest one I can, okay? Kairos. Kairos. And it means this, an appointed time, an emphasis of a special time given to you by the master. Now, in slavery thought, the master would give the slave special time to do special things and give them the tools to do so. And it's a similar thought here. God says, when you make the best use of time, you make the best use of the season that God has put you in, and don't rebel. Don't complain. Don't be upset of where God has placed you. Looking to the future and thinking, I should be there, where, where in the future, right now, I should be there, because I'll really be happy up there. I'll really be happy once I graduate. I'll really be happy once I get that other job. I'll really be satisfied once I get the new salary. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, make the best use of the season that he has planted you in. That's why Colossians 4, 5 says this. Walk in wisdom 
And how can you walk in wisdom? How can you truly know what's going on? Because when you make best use of your time, when you submit even your time to God, when you say, Lord, you've planted me in this season, you've ordained the steps that I walk, you've ordained the times in which I will live, so I will use that time not to glorify myself, but to glorify you. That's the best use of time. You know what a bad use of time is? Just about everything you and I use it for. I have been lost. Okay, I'm going to admit something to you guys. You ready? I have been lost on Facebook watching guys in the jungle build mud huts out of mud. Have you seen this? They're building swimming pools out of mud. Yes, in the middle of the night. I'm, I'm scrolling through and I'm like, oh, just, you know, I'll just watch one more. And then suddenly it's 2 a.m. And what has happened? That's not a good use of our time. I'll be sitting at my desk in what I think is deep study, and suddenly my brain will just remember this funny cat video of a cat doing a disco dance, and suddenly I'll lean back in my chair and start thinking about it. Being really authentic and honest with you tonight. Cat videos! Mud pools! And these things are not even sinful, are they? Even things that are not sinful can rob you of your time. I'm not even talking about the things we know are wrong, guys, am I? The things we use our phones for that we should not. Those there are certainly a bad use of your time. Kairos is an appointed time determined by your creator who focuses on these seasons and times and moments and gives them to you. Stop wasting time. Stop wasting time with the worldly distractions, especially the ones that are not sinful and they're easy to indulge. Now, I picked on the student culture with the you know, Facebook video, but what's the big one we all know? Sports, right? There's nothing sinful about sports at all, but when can sports become sinful? When it becomes an idol in front of God. And you can do that with anything. You can do it with food. You can do it with a relationship. You can do it with... Gosh, I mean, students, you can do it with your own homework. You really can. I studied really hard. I made an A on that test, but I didn't read my Bible at all this week. And by the world's definition, you did great. But by the Spirit's definition, what's happened? You haven't used your time. We have, right now today, more ability to waste time than ever before, don't we? than ever before. Because we have these, and I've made this joke before, but it's funny and it gets a laugh. We have these things. Someone texted me. Okay, I'm going to be a little late. Gotcha. We have these things that connect me to the internet. It's the biggest library that's ever existed. All the world's knowledge is right here. And do you know what we use it for? Cat videos! Mud pools! We take photos of ourselves, and then we constantly check to see who's liked it. Obsessed with our own image, we forget who we bear the image of. Students, adults, make the best use of your time by giving your time to God. The simple consideration every morning, Lord, what do you want me to do today? You've ordained me to go to work in this job. You've ordained me to even be reading this book of the Bible for my devotion. Enjoy them. Trust that God has planted you right where you're supposed to be. 
instead of looking off in the distance and saying, that's where I really need to be. I'll really be happy over there. Instead, recognize God has placed you now. Now is the appointed time. And it'd be easy right now, guys. It would be so easy to start harping about seizure moments, seizure time and all that stuff. But Scripture says Christ has already done that. Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection has already seized the moment of salvation for you and provided it for you. And all you have to do is enjoy what God has given you. Yes, you repent of sin when it's time, when God calls you to to salvation. Yes, you believe. Yes, you are sanctified every day. But there is joy in this Christian life. We're not supposed to walk around just with mad faces on all the time. Isn't that the world's view of God? He's up in heaven and he's just like, no fun for anybody. And he's got a magnifying glass, you know, looking for fun, getting ready to remove it. That's not God. God gives the greatest joy. Do you know why? Because through the spirit of adoption, he's brought you into his house, placed the best table before you with the best food, and said, enjoy. For you're my child, and I love you. And I will never tire of loving you. Make the best use of your time. Here's another way you can do that. Paul goes on in verse 6. He says, let your speech be gracious. Now, let's full stop right there. Has your speech been gracious this week? There were times when it was. There were some times when it wasn't exactly gracious when I was driving. What does Paul say, though? Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer each person. Youth culture has a phrase today. Some of y'all know what I'm about to say, right? Don't be what? Salty. Why are you salty? And what does salty mean, Katie? What does salty mean? It means being jealous, having an attitude, being mean, petty. All right, all right, all right, that's enough. Jealousy, attitude, mean, petty. That's what the world defines being salty as now, okay? Look back at the text of Scripture, verse 6. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. Do you know why? Because we've lost this in our age of electricity and refrigerators, okay? Salt used to be the only way to preserve food for the majority of people. There were other ways, but for the majority of people, thousands of years ago, salt preserved the food that kept you alive. Without salt, you would die. You would starve to death. And what Paul is bringing out, led by the Holy Spirit, is the same salt that preserved food and kept you alive is the same thing you need in your soul given to you by God so that when other people are talking with you, dialoguing with you, they don't walk away from you saying, oh, wow, what a jerk. They see the salt of the Holy Spirit preserving you, and after talking with you, they walk away going, man, I'm going to think about this God that that person loves. Because there's no other reason to act the way they did unless it was real for them. We have a phrase now in student culture, don't be salty. Well, I am here to tell you tonight that is wrong. Be salty. You should be salty. Here's another verse for you. Let me flip my notes over. Matthew 5.13, you 
are the salt of the earth. But if it's lost its taste, how shall it be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Not only are you supposed to be salty, but when you lose your saltiness, Jesus just said, you wouldn't be good for anything. I'm so thankful in Christ. Every time I start to get actually salty, I start to get mean and nasty and and jealous and upset and have an attitude. Christ in me puts the spiritual salt back on my soul and says, don't act that way. Preserve. Use gracious speech. Speak with love, but speak the truth. It's an important distinction. I love you, but I will give you the truth. That's why we can't condone sin. I can't just say, oh, it's fine. Don't worry, God doesn't doesn't mind. I can't say that. It's a lie. Be salty. God has preserved our salvation with the greatest salt that he ever brought to the earth, his own son, Jesus. God wants us to be kind and gentle. I wrote this yesterday. And use the words that preserve others building them up instead of tearing them down. How easy it is to tear each other down. How easy it is for me to tear you down, especially you students in here because we've talked, right? I know things about you. I've, I've, I've prayed with you and struggled with you while you were going through things, while you were, you were facing hurt and abuse and pain. It would be easy for me to point those things out in the future. But instead... Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And let's look at verse 10. While the world is busy tearing itself down and tearing itself apart, you, if you are a Christian tonight, have been called to better things. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10. We're going to finish right here. The Word of God says in verse 10, For this reason I write these things, while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not tearing down. Paul is writing to a church that is similar to our Las Vegas. They got a lot of issues and a lot of problems. And he's in prison and he's saying, I'm writing to you now. I'm saying harsh things so that when I physically am there, I don't have to be severe. And God has done the same thing. Right now, he sent a messenger to you to preach to you if you are lost, to repent and believe, or lest you die in fire. Or if you are saved, to be continually sanctified, forsaking sin and coming to God. Because if God comes, he's going to be severe. He's going to be severe. If you don't learn the easy lesson, God will give you the hard one. Because again, he has ordained your steps. Like Jonah, you can't run from him. There is no hiding from him. God knows right now. The thing that you haven't told anybody that you're struggling with right now, God knows. I've had the most incredible experiences sometimes after preaching because people will come up to me and they go, how do you know about my life? How did you know to look at me? And I always say the same thing. I didn't. I wasn't meaning to look at you. 
In fact, what you felt was the presence of the Holy Spirit convicting you. Trust me, if it was just me up here doing this, there would be no goodness for anybody. I want to build up instead of tear down. And I want that for all of you in here tonight. Guys, let's build each other up instead of tearing each other down. But remember the caveat of Scripture, truth and build up in love. But it has to be in truth. Because it'd be easy to lie to you. It'd be easy to give you false hopes and false promises, whispering sweet nothings from the stage instead of the truth, which is that you need Christ. Whether that be your salvation or your sanctification, you need Christ right now. You know what the burden of the preacher is? A lot of people think it's knowing things about people, and, that, and that's difficult sometimes. The burden of the preacher is this. There is a message in our hearts that we have to get out. It can't stay contained. And many times, from the viewpoint of the audience, there's an appearance of superiority. There's an appearance of knowledge or degrees or studying. But this is the truth. I know that I need Christ, and I know it even more because of this position. Before I was ordained, there was a blissful ignorance that I no longer have. But I'm grateful to the Lord for this. Even in the burden, He has strengthened me for the ministry. Even in the moments of trial, when I have looked at students for years and preached to them for years, and mostly one of two things happens. Number one, they move away and I don't hear from them much anymore. Or two, there is a break of some kind. They'll get upset at somebody in the church. They'll move in with a different parent. They will even die. If you're a Christian in here tonight and you are looking at me, you share in a burden of the gospel. And you may not be ordained to the specific preaching role, which again, in America, we've turned all this into something. It's not anything. You share the burden of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit in you will not be stifled. It will come out and it will share. And if you're struggling tonight, that might be a reason why. Make the best use of your time. Seize this appointed moment God has provided. And take the joy that is so freely offered from heaven. But I warn you, like communion, if you take it unjustly, unfairly, and without righteousness, you will face the wrath of God. And I don't want that for you. I want the sweet repentance and salvation that I have. So I'm going to close with this. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Because I want to pray for you before we sing this last song. Dear Lord Jesus, my heart's incredibly burdened that there are many in here who do not know you. Lord, as I think about the great evangelist and preacher, Ed Lacey, who now stands before you in glory. Lord, who stood on this stage and preached to many 
of the same people and even the same students. Lord, you have fulfilled his race. You have finished his work. Now he stands before you. And it is for others, myself included, to pick up the mantle and continue to preach what is true and accurate and loving. Lord, I pray for the hearts and minds now of those in here who do not know you yet the ones who still treat it like a game, the ones who are still here for food or a game or a relationship. God, I pray you would break that stony heart open and fill it with your son. And Lord, I pray for those of us in here who are with you. Lord, we need the daily sanctification of the spirit. I need the daily mortification of this flesh and the reminder of renewed mercies that so freely flow from the Father's table. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to believe and help our unbelief that those who do worship you truly would worship in spirit and in love and in truth. I thank you, Lord. And as now we close and we're about to sing our last song, God, I just ask, magnify yourself. Make it all about you and remove the pride that so easily tears us away. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and in your name I pray. Amen.